Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about cholesterol drugs known as statins. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen in to our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steve Annette as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. And good evening, Ron. So here we are again on each coast, ready to talk about another health-related topic, and this one is one of those evil topics having to do with statins. So let's start off by letting people know what statins are. Statins are a class of drugs that are prescribed by medical doctors to block the action of a specific liver enzyme that's responsible for making cholesterol. And some of the most common statins prescribed are Lipitor, Mevacor, Crestor, and Zocor. Okay. So what exactly are they being used for? You said they're blocking an enzyme made by the liver that has to do with cholesterol. So why are they being used? The primary reason is that uh, most people are placed on them because of high levels of cholesterol. And some people are put on them with normal levels of cholesterol. And so it's used as a preventive drug. Oh, that always got me, the whole preventive drug thing. I know. Okay, so that's the main thing that they're being used for at this point in time is keeping cholesterol levels supposedly within a normal range. Yeah, and then other people are prescribed them to prevent or treat atherosclerosis, which is hardening and narrowing of the arteries due to the buildup of fatty deposits, creating what's called plaque on the inner artery walls. And plaque's not only composed of fat, but also cholesterol, calcium, and other substances found in the blood. Mm-hmm. And the problem with plaque is not only can it restrict blood flow, but it can also burst triggering a blood clot. So that can lead to a heart attack, stroke, or even heart failure. So this is one of the reasons why people are put on this medication, because supposedly it can help with that, prevent uh, atherosclerosis or treat it. Right. And you talked a lot about that in episode number six on cholesterol, having to do with how that actually comes about. And it's not the same way that the medical profession tries to present it. Right. But this is their way of dealing with it. So statins have been around for a little while. When did they actually first come into use? Well, the first statin to be approved by the United States by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, was Lovastatin, also known as Mevacor. And that was way back in September of 1987. Hmm. And by the way, it's actually similar to the antibiotic penicillin since both are derived from fungus. Oh. Yeah. Lovastatin is derived from an Aspergillus fungus. As opposed to a Dobigillus fungus. And I'll bet most of the people out there will have no clue of what that is. Definitely people under 40. 
or 50, actually, probably. Okay. So statins are, are very commonly used now. The amount of advertising on them has just gotten ridiculous. Starting, I think it was mid or late 90s that the floodgates were open on advertising. And the advertising that's been going on for years and years and years, of course, has boosted the sales. How much sales are done each year in the United States for statins? Well, I'm going to start with worldwide. Okay. Yeah, because in researching this, there's all kinds of reports and some of them, they'll show the study came out in 2017, but it only shows up to like 2013. Okay. So I wanted to come up with the most recent data and that is worldwide. Mm -hmm. So less than a year ago, a report showed that statin-lowering drugs accounted for $19.2 billion worldwide and they're forecasted to grow 4.9% each year during the next five years, which means that the industry will be worth $24.4 billion in 2022. That's uh, not chump change. No. It's really interesting because statin sales in the United States have actually steadily declined. Uh, they actually peaked at $22 billion in the United States alone in 2008 and 2009. Wait a second. Go back to what the worldwide sales was. It was $19.2 billion less than a year ago. So how was the United States at 24 billion or 22? Billion? It was at 22 billion in 2008, 2009, and it steadily declined. Oh. So just the United States alone was more than worldwide last year, just less than 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And this decline in sales is partly due to lower costs for generic statins and higher costs for branded statins. Mm. And just to give you a, an idea how profitable these drugs have been, over a 14 and a half year period, starting with its release in 1997, just 10 years after the first one was released, mm -hmm. the statin drug Lipitor became the best-selling drug in the history of pharmaceuticals, raking in over $125 billion in sales over that 14 and a half year period. Wow. Unreal. So in 2010, lipid regulators, which were mainly statin drugs, were the most prescribed medications in the United States by class, with more than 255 million prescriptions filled. But by 2016, they dropped to third place behind drugs for diabetes, which is number one, and drugs for pain and inflammation at number two. Now, all told, according to a study from 2017, over 20% of Americans between the ages of 40 and 75 take statin drugs. That's a huge number. It is. And believe it or not, four years before that, in 2013, the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association started recommending that more than double this number, or 42% of Americans in the age group of 40 to 75, with no history of cardiovascular problems, should take statins. And I wonder how much money they're getting from the pharmaceutical companies to say that. Yeah, good question. Because we know that that's behind it. Yeah. Yeah, let's just double the number of people taking drugs and throw in a bunch of people that don't really need it. Let's say a bunch more people that don't really need it, that have no history of problems. And we're going to make twice as much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're really watching out for our best interests, aren't they? Yeah. All right, well, go ahead and continue now that I had my little rant. Sure. Other interesting stats having to do with statins is that according to a study published in August of 2017, only 61% of those who were prescribed a statin were still using it after three months, 
mm-hmm. and only 55% remained on it after six months. Mm. You know, they're actually designed to be taken the rest of your life. Of course. Yeah. And in addition to that, 30% stopped taking statins after experiencing side effects, which were presumed to be due to the drugs. 8.5% of those who stopped their medication had a cardiovascular event, such as a heart attack or stroke within four years, compared to 7.6% of those who continued taking statins. Wow. So this was on an NBC website, and their lead medical correspondent said, those numbers are alarming. And I'm like, really? That's less than a 1% difference. is a 0.9% difference, which basically means there was no difference. Right. Yeah. Now, his other statements were fine, which were, uh, we don't want patients quitting their statins without their doctors or supervision. And we also have to acknowledge that there are multiple reasons why people stop their statins. And I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. But to say that, oh my God, this is alarming. There's less than a 1% difference of those who took it and didn't take it. It's just ridiculous. All right. So we know that there's tons of them being sold. And we also know what my opinion is of that. So let's take a look at what some of the dangers are for people to use statins. So we went over this in detail in podcast episode six on cholesterol. So I'll go over this again, including new data that I've dug up. Okay. Let's start with statin myopathy. This is something I see every so often when I look for it, especially when I have new patients come in and I review what medications they're taking. Mm -hmm. This condition includes muscle pain, tenderness, and weakness, and it's likely due to the fact that statins reduce the vital nutrient called CoQ10. Okay. And low CoQ10 levels in the body not only can result in muscle soreness and weakness, but also fatigue and even eventually heart failure because it's vital for normal function of the body's muscles, including the skeletal muscles and cardiac muscle, which is the muscle that makes up the heart. Right. And CoQ10 is one of the supplements that's often recommended for people to improve their heart health. Exactly. It's also helpful in reducing high blood pressure, which is actually the highest risk factor for cardiovascular disease. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, an article from June of 2011 from the Cleveland Clinic Journal of Medicine stated that statin myopathy is a common problem in clinical practice, but is not seen much in clinical drug trials. Really? Yeah. Isn't that special? Yeah. And and the overall frequency of all adverse side effects relating to statin usage is only 5% in clinical trials, whereas it's upwards of 20% in clinical practice. So obviously these things are being underreported in drug trial studies. Yeah. Underreported. That's a really nice way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Now, many countries, including Canada, require doctors to recommend CoQ10 when prescribing statins, but the United States FDA does not. Mm Mm-hmm. And if a patient comes in to see me that's taking statins, I always educate them on adding at least 200 milligrams of standard CoQ10 or 60 milligrams of gel form daily to prevent deficiency side effects. Okay. Yeah. And obviously, I can't prescribe or take people off prescription drugs, including statins. So it's up to them and their doctor when it comes to taking or not taking them. Right. Now, there's other studies that I specifically cited in the cholesterol podcast. So I'll summarize their results. All right. One of them found evidence that statins break down the structure of tendons leading to tendon rupture. Another one found that statins cause disruptions in the body leading to breast cancer. Hmm. And there's also recent evidence showing a potential association with an increased risk for Lou Gehrig's disease. Not a good thing. No. And statins have been associated with an increased risk of polyneuropathy, which is nerve damage that causes pain in the hands and feet and trouble walking. 
And there's other things like statins have been found to cause dizziness, reduced immune function. They can cause depression, liver problems, including elevated liver enzymes. And that's why liver enzymes are monitored regularly when people take these. Mm. Another important point about statins is that the extreme danger of having too low total cholesterol levels, which can definitely occur from taking statins. I've had patients where they, their levels were way down at 100 and their doctors were just like ecstatic and bragging about it. Fact of the matter is your level should never go below 150. Okay. Yeah, that was a point that you made during that episode about how if you're taking statins, it can drive it below the level where it's actually safe. Right. I mean, there's actually lots of studies that show a connection between lower, lowered cholesterol levels and violent behavior. And why is that? Well, it's because the lower cholesterol levels may lead to lower brain serotonin activity, which may in turn lead to increased violence and aggression. But the good thing about that for the pharmaceutical companies is now they have a new condition they can give somebody a drug for. Exactly. There's other studies that have found that low cholesterol levels are associated with higher cancer risk and Parkinson's disease. Mm. And so now the, the additional dangers involving statins that I've found since that episode include the fact that it's possible that your blood sugar level may increase when you take a statin, which may lead to developing type 2 adult onset diabetes. Great. And even though the risk is small, it's important enough that the FDA has issued a warning on statin labels regarding blood glucose levels and diabetes. And the FDA also warns on statin labels that some people have developed memory loss or confusion while taking statins. And these side effects usually reverse once you stop taking the medication. Wow. Yeah. So it's not like cheese or wine where it's getting better with time. There are more problems being found as the years go on. Unfortunately. All right. Well, interestingly enough, I remember back when those were first coming out. And the cholesterol test numbers were different at that point in time. In fact, what was considered to be a problem, like too high of a cholesterol, was a higher number. And since then, they've lowered that number probably more than once. So what do those cholesterol test numbers and the changes in them over the years have to do with statins becoming such a popular drug? The current desirable level for total cholesterol is under 200 milligrams per deciliter, which is the amount of cholesterol measured in the blood. Right. And I remember at one time, the maximum number was way up at 300. Yeah, that's and what then, I remember. Yeah. And then it dropped to 250 and now it's 200. Mm-hmm. With 200 to 239 being considered borderline high and 240 and above considered high risk for cardiovascular disease. Right. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in the United States, killing approximately 634,000 people with cancer close behind at approximately 596,000 people. Mm -hmm. And medicine-like simple magic bullet approaches to diseases, and the cholesterol theory has now stuck for decades. The problem with certain theories is that statistics can be manipulated for agendas instead of looking at all the factors that matter. Right. So in other words, if you put too much emphasis on total blood cholesterol levels and automatically put people on statin drugs instead of looking at the most significant risk factors like high blood pressure, inflammation, whether they smoke or not, if they have diabetes, their age, their diet, their weight, their exercise level, specific blood fat levels like LDL, HDL, and triglycerides, which we covered in the cholesterol episode, right? as well as family history you know, if you don't take those into account, you're just looking at blood cholesterol levels, then you're just being lazy and not looking at what is potentially underlying a person's true risks for cardiovascular disease 
Not to mention the fact that this person is being put on a drug that can have more risk than reward. Right. So the medical study that is considered the gold standard for risk factors of cardiovascular disease, and it includes checking cholesterol levels, is the Framingham Heart Study. You mentioned that before, didn't you? Yeah, and, and that one's been going on since 1948, and it's now in its third generation of participants. So depending on who interprets it, it supposedly shows that cholesterol is a significant risk factor for cardiovascular disease. But a 1992 article published in the Archives of Internal Medicine by a former director of the Framingham Heart Study, he stated that the more saturated fat, cholesterol, and calories that some of the people ate, actually the lower their cholesterol. Yeah, I remember when you went over that during the cholesterol episode. It's very interesting. Yeah. And this particular population of people, by the way, weighed the least and were the most physically active. Wow. It shows that if people are fit and they're not overweight, they can actually get away with eating more red meat and dairy, you know, saturated fat, things with cholesterol and more calories. Right. they'll burn it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another study published in 1992, the same year, analyzed 26 cholesterol-lowering trials prior to the advent of statin drugs. And it included about 60,000 people who lowered their cholesterol by various means. And the incidence of heart disease among them was compared with the rate in about 54,000 people who made no attempt to lower their cholesterol levels. Wow. And what was interesting is in the treatment group, there was only a 0.3% fewer non-fatal heart attacks, so less than 1%. Statistically, it's like nothing. Right. Both groups had the same number of fatal heart attacks. Mm-hmm. And there was actually more deaths from all causes in the group that was trying to lower their cholesterol, about 0.3%. Wow. So it just basically just means that lowering blood cholesterol levels does not reduce death rates and is unlikely to prevent coronary heart disease. And if you remember in the cholesterol podcast, I stated the fact that none of the theories of how cholesterol sticks to the inside of your blood vessels, which is really what matters, mm -hmm. has anything to do with the total amount of cholesterol in your blood. So just because you have elevated blood cholesterol, it doesn't mean that it's going to stick to the arterial walls. Right. That's the big point right there. Right. So any claims that so-called medical authorities push on the public about lowering total cholesterol levels can reduce heart disease and prevent death, especially through the use of statins, are based on a few cherry-picked trials that are typically funded by the drug companies that make these drugs. Mm-hmm. For example, there was a drug study called the Jupiter trial that tested the, the specific statin drug Crestor, and this was published in 2008 and was funded by the drug company that makes it, AstraZeneca. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, it looked very promising, and Crestor became the darling of the cardiology world since it showed a 44% potential reduction in cardiovascular events thanks to its ability to not only lower the bad cholesterol, LDL, but also to reduce levels of a blood marker for inflammation called C-reactive protein, which we went over in the other podcast. Right. But of course, it was met with a lot of skepticism, criticism, and alarm by numerous reputable medical experts. And one major reason is that the disclosure at the end of the study, and I read this study, mm -hmm. the disclosure showed that the lead researcher that got credit for it was a doctor who had received previous grants and consulting fees from the same company. Mm -hmm. AstraZeneca, yeah. And in addition, he happened to hold the legal patent on a particular technology that stood to explode in sales if the Jupiter Studies recommendations were accepted by cardiologists worldwide. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. And on top of that, nine of the 14 authors of the Jupiter Study had financial ties to AstraZeneca. Wow. 
So there was way too many financial conflicts of interest going on, which made this study questionable as far as any likely bias occurring in favor of the drug. Amazing. I know. And in addition, the fact uh, that it was only run over 1.9 years and then abruptly stopped because the results were very favorable was also a red flag. Yeah, 1.9 years. That's the specific amount of time that a typical study is going to be done for. What a bunch of douchebags. I know. So there are many more flaws associated with this study, but a great article that goes over this in detail that we can add to the podcast notes covers this in detail and it's called when medical research is funded to favor the drug, not the facts. Good. Well, we definitely want to have a link to that. We can also add other articles digging into the actual myths surrounding cholesterol that I recommend. These were written by uh, Dr. Joseph Mercola, and we can include those in our notes too. Absolutely. And when we went through the plant paradox, we were discussing Dr. Gundry's work, and he had been a cardiac surgeon for many, many years. And through his research and what he found through his patients and working with diet and eliminating lectins, he found that, you know, a lot of the stuff that he had been doing as a cardiac surgeon wasn't really necessary. So he changed things around quite a bit in his personal practice and has changed things around for a lot of people. So things are shifting in a good direction, but we've still got drug companies up out there with billions of dollars at stake. We're going to do everything possible to make profit, whether it's falsifying studies or bribing officials. Not that any of that stuff actually goes on, if anybody's listening to this from the NSA. Um, but we'll let the listeners out there make their own decisions about that. So hopefully there's some other way of dealing with this for people if they really do have a cholesterol issue and they do need to do something about it. So are there any alternative methods of treatment that can be used for this so that people don't have to be taking drugs that will cause Lou Gehrig's disease or their favorite body parts to fall off? I'm going to, again, summarize what we went over in the cholesterol podcast. So I highly recommend that those listening to this either review that episode if you've heard it already mm -hmm. or give it a listen if you haven't yet. So according to Udo Erasmus, the author of the book that is considered the Bible of fats called Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, he says that 999 out of 1,000 people can control their cholesterol levels and cardiovascular health by nutritional means alone. Wow. Yeah. So the top nutrient alternatives to statin drugs are, first of all, natural anti-inflammatories. Mm-hmm. And that's because one of the most popular current theories regarding why cholesterol builds up inside arteries is chronic inflammation. Right. So what happens is that the inside lining of a blood vessel becomes injured and inflamed due to various causes, and then cholesterol then builds up to fill in the injured areas and it eventually turns to plaque. Mm -hmm. So the top natural anti-inflammatory supplements include fish oil or krill oil, mm -hmm. proteolytic enzymes that are taken on an empty stomach. Mm -hmm resveratrol, mm -hmm. ginger, and flaxseed oil. Okay. Now, turmeric, or more specifically, its active ing ingredient called curcumin, is also excellent, but must be taken with black pepper if it's in its natural fat-soluble state. Right. But I recommend Solgar full-spectrum curcumin, which is a water-soluble form that's 185 times as potent as regular curcumin and stays in the body up to 24 hours. All right, I'm writing that down. Solgar water soluble. Full spectrum curcumin. All right. And does that also have the black pepper in it? Doesn't need it. Because it's water soluble? 
That's right. Okay. Yeah. So the top anti-inflammatory diets that I've researched and personally successfully applied are the simpler Anabolic Labs anti-inflammatory diet found in their nutritional foundation booklet, which I've referenced a number of times on previous podcasts, including podcast number 13 on inflammation. Mm -hmm. And the more thorough plant paradox approach, which we summarize nicely in podcast number 28, which you just spoke of earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Now, another important class of nutrients is antioxidants. And it's because there's another theory that cholesterol builds up inside arteries due to increased exposure to free radicals, which are atoms or molecules that have an odd number of unpaired electrons and are formed when oxygen interacts with certain substances. Okay. And then after these are formed, they can create like a chain reaction in the body that includes damage to the arterial walls leading to cholesterol deposits since cholesterol actually is used in the body to repair that. So to prevent free radical damage, the body has a defense system of antioxidants, which interact with and neutralize these free radicals by donating electrons until they become stable again. Okay. So think of the skin of a piece of fruit as its antioxidant wrapper. Mm -hmm. For example, when you peel the skin from an apple and the flesh is now exposed to oxygen, what happens? It turns brown. Exactly. So the apple has lost its antioxidant or antioxidant protection, and it can't protect itself anymore from the effects of oxygen exposure. So it rapidly turns brown and it eventually rots. Right. Yeah. And the same thing happens with avocados. Not necessarily rot, but interestingly enough, with avocados, it's not so much the skin, it's the pit. Yeah. If you cut an avocado in half, you have the one that has the pit in and the one that doesn't, the one that will turn brown is the one that doesn't have the pit. Yeah, it's a combination of the skin and the pit. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the top antioxidant supplements are the vitamins A, C, and E, and the minerals zinc and selenium. Okay. And other outstanding antioxidants include glutathione, which is best taken as NAC, mm -hmm. pomegranate, resveratrol again, and bioflavonoids, which are part of the natural vitamin C complex. Right. Also, the B vitamin niacin has been proven to increase good cholesterol levels, HDLs, and lower bad cholesterol or LDLs, as well as triglycerides. Hmm. In fact, niacin is considered the most effective FDA-approved means of raising good cholesterol in the body. Isn't that interesting? Now, would that lower somebody's overall cholesterol level, or is it just specifically been shown to deal with the good cholesterol level? I think it's just specific to raising good cholesterol and lowering bad cholesterol, but not total cholesterol. Okay. Yeah. Also, the food preservative EDTA can be taken orally or intravenously, and it can effectively remove cholesterol buildup, heavy metal buildup, and calcium deposits in the arteries. That's good. Yeah. And then other time-tested lifestyle changes that can help improve cholesterol levels instead of taking statins include consistent exercise, quitting smoking, getting enough restful sleep, stress reduction, and not drinking alcohol to excess. Okay. Those are all good points. Yeah. All right. Now, do you have any personal experience either with patients or hearing about it from other doctors where patients were taking statins and what was going on or in the application of natural cholesterol treatments, anything like that you'd like to share? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. One of our relatives, which I won't mention by name due to HIPAA laws, mm -hmm. but I'm sure you'll be able to figure out who it is. Yeah, I think I know who it is already. Yeah. 
So about 15 years ago, she had pretty high blood cholesterol levels up around 300. And I put her on a supplement called Coles Plus, mm-hmm. which I still use successfully with patients. Mm-hmm. And her levels dropped down to around 200 and below and pretty much stabilized while she was on it. Mm-hmm. And so she's now in her late 80s and is still kicking around pretty good. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, in the cholesterol podcast, I shared my own success story with elevated cholesterol. But for those of you who haven't heard that one, I'll share it again. The beginning of April in 2008, this was not long after I moved to Clearwater, which was a little stressful, having to move out of the house and start a new practice and everything. There was a lot going on. I was still a bit stressed from that, and I checked my cholesterol level, and it was up at 231. Mm -hmm. For me, that was really high because it was always around 160. Okay. So what I did was over the period of one week, I simply just did things to reduce stress. I got more sleep, and I took a liver detox supplement because we went over in the other podcast on cholesterol that your liver is responsible for 80% of the cholesterol production in the body, and oftentimes it's just simply a liver problem that's going on that's causing high cholesterol. And the fact that when you're under stress, the sterol part of cholesterol is used to make steroid hormones, stress hormones in your adrenals. Mm -hmm. So I did all these stress reduction techniques and so forth. And one week later, I took my cholesterol level again, and it was down to 193 within the normal range. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So it doesn't have to take long. I mean, some people is like, oh my gosh, it's going to take three months for them. No, it can take as little as one week to get your cholesterol levels down to a healthier range. Yeah. Natural and alternative means of dealing with body conditions and overall health don't take the rest of your life with no results like pharmaceuticals do. Okay. So is there anything else you'd like to say about statins before we end? Yeah. If you go to your medical doctor and he or she insists that you take a statin drug, just realize that it's your body and that you can decide for yourself whether to take it or not, since you're the one ultimately responsible for your health, not your doctor. And we went over that in our last podcast. Now, if you do decide to take a statin drug, then definitely supplement with CoQ10 like we went over earlier. Right. And if you decide not to, especially if your total blood cholesterol levels are in the normal range and your doctor wants you to take a statin drug as a preventive measure, then just stand your ground and know that there are workable natural therapeutic as well as preventive approaches that you can follow, including the ones that we went over in this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. And they should probably find another doctor if they have somebody telling them to take preventive drugs. It was like, I remember in school, they were talking about how some women were being told by their doctors, they should have their breasts removed because somebody in their family had breast cancer and they shouldn't take the risk. Well, that's kind of like what Angelina Jolie did. She had, I think she had her ovaries removed because her mother had ovarian cancer. Right. It's preventive surgery, preventive pharmaceuticals, preventive surgery. That's just not a really smart way to go. Yeah. I guess we were born with faulty parts, huh? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I think there's certain professions that have certain faulty parts between their ears. All right. So next week, thanks for all that information, Steve. It's very good. I hope a lot of people listen to this and pay attention because statin drugs, they want to get 40% of the population on them. And it's going to be up to the people out there who are listening to this to know about enough about it so they don't become a statistic. 
Uh, so thanks for the information. Next week, we're going to get into another little controversial topic. We'll try not to get too much into the controversy or say anything that'll put either of us in jail. And that has to do with the topic of immunizations. And it's become more of a controversial topic because of legislation being passed in certain states and around the country where basically they want to take young children and hold them down and jab them with sharp objects and put foreign substances into their body that could cause all sorts of disastrous health issues. Uh, but of course, it's being done for everybody's good. So we're going to talk about that next week. How does that sound? All right. All right, Steve. <laughs> Thanks again. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Bye.